Have you ever heard of Simple Practice? It's an electronic medical record system, aka EMR, let's just say it for short, that is so user-friendly even I can figure out how to use it. Seriously though, y'all, they made it so, so easy. There's so much customer support and tutorials. They made it much less daunting whenever it was just little me starting my practice. And also they make it super simple and convenient for you to be able to add therapists if you decide you ever want to grow. This was 100% instrumental in helping me when I was starting my practice. Using simple practice whenever I started my private practice definitely made the road, we'll just say, a little less bumpy. Check the link in the show notes to get yourself one free month of simple practice. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Speech Goods, a podcast where we showcase awesome SLPs doing awesome traditional and non-traditional SLP things. Myself and the guest on this show are here to talk about the goods, the bads, and the untamable parts of ourselves and our SLP careers, and how, despite the challenges of everyday life, have just done the dang thing, loving what we do. I'm your host, Danny Augustine. I went from burnt out, dissatisfied with my SLP job, to dusting off my big girl pants, sprinkling some determination in my 20 cent coffee, and starting my own debt-free private practice. Now, I love my work and career and wouldn't trade it for anything else. It was support and wisdom from others around me that helped me refine my why. In the show, I hope you find support and wisdom of your own. In this episode, we have the one, the only, Jenna Castra Casbon, M-S-C-C-C-S-L-P. I never get tired of saying that. It's so much fun. Anyways, Jenna is a private practice consultant who has helped thousands of speech language pathologists start and grow their own private practices through her company, The Independent Clinician. BT-dubs, yours truly went through her program and it was stinking fab. Jenna's written articles for the ASHA Leader, and she's presented at ASHA Connect. You'll find her online in the SLP Private Practice Beginners Facebook group and in her premium programs, the Start Your Private Practice System, and her additional program, the Six Figure Private Practice. Okay, you're going to need to ho-ho hold up and listen to this conversation with Jenna and I. We get into some like just juicy-woosy topics. We're talking about SLPs, money, mindset, being a female-dominated profession, you're going to hear us talk about reasons why we feel SLPs don't start businesses and how Jenna, despite her amazing success with the independent clinician, never thought she would be a business owner. She talks about how getting a financial planner early on in her career really helped to set the stage for her financial well-being going forward. We talk about the importance of mentorship. This girl was able to hire people during the pandemic. Hello, that's awesome. We talk about her thriving business, the independent clinician, and how we learn how to be SLPs. SLPs, but we don't really learn how to earn as SLPs. We talk about create, don't wait, and just like all of the sneaking things. She talks about how she deals with criticism and overcomes those things, imposter syndrome, all the buzzwords that we've all been talking about. Okay, again, Danny's gonna stop talking. Let's get to this interview and do the dang thing. Well, hello, 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 Miss Jenna. How are you doing today? I am doing so well. I am so happy to be here with you, Danny, to talk all things private practice, business, and SLP money. Yes, girl. Like you just spoke all three of my love languages right just now for reals. We're sitting here with our heli- like helicopter pilot earphone things going on and it's beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. So we just read your bio. You started out, you created your own private practice, an adult-focused private practice, by the way. And then you like built this 
thing. That's awesome. You have an SLP business that it's not even a private practice. You help other SLPs start their private practices. And I really wanted to have you on because I love private practice, but also showing SLPs that that's not your only option for SLP business in general, or using your private practice to pursue other things in the SLP field. So I wanted to just like delve into that. Is that cool? That is super cool. And I can't wait. Yeah. So tell us kind of just like to start us out, you know, what about you and your SLP journey has kind of made you unique? Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to start out by telling people, I never thought I would be a business owner. My dad is a business owner. And when I was growing up and in high school and even in college, he kept saying like, Jenna, why don't you come work for me? Let's go into business together. And I just remember I kept saying, dad, business is boring. And I want to help people. Like, I don't want to be a business owner. Like, I just want to help people. And he was like, okay, whatever. You know, I filed that away. So my dad was disfluent as a child and he went to speech therapy in like, you know, I guess it would have been the 1950s. So who knows what they did for fluency back then. But basically I chose the field of speech pathology partially because of my dad. Right. But then he wanted me to do this whole business thing. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So I went to Loyola in New Orleans for undergrad, which did not have a speech program. So I was literally in one of those like developmental psychology courses, like junior year. And they started talking about language development and abnormal language development. And I had one of those aha moments about maybe speech pathology is what I should do. And so I applied to a bunch of grad programs. I got into a couple, um, one of which being Emerson College in Boston. I could not wait to go from Louisiana, where Danny's from, to it's hot there. We don't like to be hot or I don't like to be hot. And I could not wait to move to the Northeast, head to Boston and go to Emerson for grad school. So I went to grad school. And while I'm in grad school, my dad kept saying like, Hey, like, what are you learning about private practice? Are you thinking about private practice one day? And I was like, dad, stop it. Like, no, (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) I want to work in a hospital with adults and I want to do outpatient therapy. I love people with aphasia. Like, that's what I want to do. And he's like, all right, fine. So finished grad school where I learned nothing about private practice, by the way. We did have a guest speaker come. Some people had placements of private practices. I didn't. So I basically learned kind of nothing other than that. It was an option for, you know, one day later on down the road. And so I did end up getting my dream job at the time at a rehabilitation hospital in Boston in the outpatient department, working with people with strokes and brain injuries. And that was like literally dream come true to truly get that dream CF. And so I'm, you know, working at Spalding, loving life for about a year and a half. And then like, I started to, you know, come up against some things that bothered me. So there was so many limitations on the care that I could provide to the clients. I loved my coworkers. I loved my patients, but I started to kind of like hate the administration because they just didn't understand what speech was, what our clients needed, like get kind of burned out early in my career. And so it was about this time that a couple of my coworkers, we were at lunch and they started talking about their private practice. And I literally had no idea that they had a private practice. Both of them had their own private practices part-time. They worked with me at the hospital part-time and they had their own private practices part-time too. And sometimes my wife makes fun of me all the time for not being super observant. And this was one of those things that I just didn't notice somehow. But anyway, 
I also just didn't think that was an option. Like I literally didn't think you could be in private practice part-time. I thought that it was kind of an all or nothing uh, situation. So I started asking them some questions about it because I was like super curious. And they basically were like, Jenna, do you want us to help you get started? And I was like, what? Me? <laughs> I'm like 26. <laughs> like I thought maybe I'd have a private practice like one day you know, when I was like older like them, but they offered to help teach me essentially to get started and learn the ropes and whatnot. And so they provided some mentorship early on that was really, really important. And so that's how I got started in private practice was seeing clients on the side, like after work. And I loved it. It was very freeing leaving there, going straight to my private client's house and feeling so happy. And like, I was in charge and like I was earning what I should be earning and it just felt absolutely amazing. And once you kind of get a taste of that, it's pretty amazing and pretty powerful stuff. So that's how I got started with my private practice. I love how you said, once you get that taste, I think we talked about this last time we've talked multiple times, but yeah, like once you get that taste of that freedom, it's like, Ooh, that's sweet nectar. Like, Oh, I just can't. <laughs> that's right. And I didn't know that's what was missing. Right. I didn't know how down I was feeling, right? When you feel stuck, and I didn't even really know that I felt stuck. I just thought that that's like how it went, right? Like you kind of get into the field and you're really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and like you're going to change the world. And then you get into the profession for a little while and you're like, oh, I actually can't really do a whole lot. <laughs> like I can do what I can. You know, we don't have power to always, you know, see people how often they should be seen or give the kind of therapy that different people need or see people individually versus in groups, you know? So that really was weighing on me and I didn't even really identify it until I then had the control to do what I wanted and what my clients needed. And that is when also just everything changed about how I wanted to lead my life to. And I love how you said, cause I think that's so true. I don't know what it is about SLPs, but like part of it, you know, we weren't taught a business mindset. Like that was never, you know, a lot of my best friends at optometrists, like they have like a whole class on private practice and finance and all this stuff, because like, it's assumed that you're going to be business owner at some point. But for a lot of us, like you said, that wasn't even on our mind and that wasn't even an option. So I feel like what ends up happening is when you don't know what all of your options are, or you don't even consider like, oh, like I could do something else. What? You just like, okay, well, I have to learn to accept this and you know, it's all right. It's okay. But just kind of like breaking that. No, like you can do something else. And yes, like you may have to have systems in place. Like you need to be intentional maybe before or during pursuit of that. But I mean, just like you said, and I want to ask you, cause I, I'm curious what you're going to say. You mentioned even back when your dad was like asking you about business and once you became an SLP, asked you about private practice and you were like, no, like, oh, I don't want to do that. Why do you think you weren't interested at all? I'm very curious. Yeah, I really think it's because I thought that business owners were greedy. I think I had this idea. Now, I don't believe that's true, but that, you know, I didn't feel at the time like motivated by money. And I think that that's why I thought that people would get into business. You know, now I have a different take on that, but that's part of the reason why. And the business is boring part was also because, you know, I'm not good at math. I'm like not good at math and numbers and spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. So I was really couldn't quite see myself as a business owner who would have to like know stuff 
about running the business, right? The cool thing is, is that once you get good at business, you can hire people who are good at those things, right? It took me a long time to get there. But now that I have that, that makes a world of difference. I can talk about that later. No, I love that. Even back to what you said about like the greed thing, like that's kind of what I thought as well, because whatever you're doing, whether it's a private practice, whether you're selling hot boiled peanuts on the side of the road, like you have to make money. And what's interesting though, is if you are not self-employed, like if you're not working for yourself, by definition, you're working for somebody else. And if the business owner is greedy thing is like kind of how your paradigm and how you see things, well, then you realize you're making money for somebody else. And you're making profit for somebody else because if a business doesn't have profit, it ain't a business. <laughs> you're totally right. You're totally right. There was a lot that I learned the first one or two years in the field, actually, like in the time when I was starting the private practice. So let me take one step back. There's an awesome book that everyone should read called We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. And one of the things that she talks a lot about is broke ass decisions versus million dollar decisions. And so in reading this book and reflecting back, like what are some million dollar decisions that I've made? One of them was hiring a financial planner when I was a CF. So when I was a CF, this is actually a really fun story. I got business cards, right? And I was so excited to hand out my business cards because I worked for this, you know, kind of prestigious rehab hospital and I felt really good about my business cards, right? So what I kept doing with them was putting them in those like fish bowls at restaurants to like try to win like free lunch, right? <laughs> and so one of the places that I tried to win free lunch, it turned out everybody won free lunch there. And that the free lunch was sponsored by an Ameriprise financial advisor. And the deal was, again, everybody won free lunch, but you also got to bring 10 of your friends. So I was like, oh my God, you guys, this is amazing. We were all CFs. And I was like, y'all, I just want us free lunch. Like, let's go. <laughs> the best thing when you're right out of grad school, you need free lunch. <laughs> you totally need free lunch. And it was like at a seafood restaurant and I love seafood. So it was all good, right? So we show up to the free lunch and I guess I kind of knew it was like sponsored by like a financial person or whatever, but in comes this guy named Rob. And Rob is also young guy. He's handsome. Everyone's excited that this handsome guy is going to buy all of his lunch. And he gives a little spiel about financial planning and why it's important, especially at our early you know, stages of life. Well, I think I was the only one who actually listened to what Rob was saying and wasn't just you know, figuring out what they wanted to order from the menu because I decided to, at the end of the lunch or whatever, actually hired Rob to be my financial advisor. And one of the reasons why I did that was because of what I said earlier about being worried that I wasn't good with math, wasn't good with numbers and that kind of thing. And if this was somebody who was good at those things, and if I could, you know, I only had to pay him like, I don't know, $400 or something a year. And he would like look over my benefit package, figure out how much I should be paying off in debt. If I was going to get a new apartment or something, you know, whatever. He was like my go-to person for all of my financial decisions that I didn't feel comfortable or confident to make on my own. So I'm still with Rob, but we're not married. We both are married to other people, but we, he has been my financial planner since 2006. And we've really grown together. It turns out he was in whatever the equivalent of like a CF is for financial planners. And so we've really kind of grown together professionally. But I tell this story because it's really important, especially if you don't know 
about financial stuff. And if you don't really know what to do about it, working with someone who can help you build wealth, know what to pay and when, what to pay off first, where to put your money, how much to save to retirement, what your shortfalls are, all this stuff is insanely valuable. And I almost didn't do it, even though I got my free lunch, but because it was $400 a year, right? So sometimes being short-sighted and thinking like, oh, I don't want to spend $400 when like, I couldn't even tell you how much working with Rob over the years has made me, but it's like a lot more than 400 times, again, math, however many years ago since Rob and I got to know each other. But anyway, so for all of you listeners, if you feel like you don't know how to make financial decisions on your own, start to work with someone who you trust who can help you make some of those decisions. But that was a decision I made very early on that has really paid off in my life. I love that because it's an investment. Like that's what that is. And to make that mindset shift, like I I talked about going from the W2 mindset to a self-employed mindset, even if you never own a business, this idea of getting a return on your investment, like you put it perfectly working with him and getting his knowledge um, has clearly made you more than what it costs. And that that's what you do when you pay people for a service to me, you know, I should pay you for your service and for your expertise because you paid to get that service and expertise. Like we paid to get our expertise and we paid for a master's degree. So we should be compensated accordingly, you know? Yeah, definitely. I love it. Love it. So another fun thing, if I can just keep rolling with the story. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do it. Okay. So now we're going to flash forward backward. I don't know if y'all can follow my thing here, but this is around the time when I started to think about starting that private practice. And I was getting some mentorship from these two coworkers of mine. And another fun little story I want to tell real quick is that one of the people who helped me get started was a woman named Catherine. And Catherine was a single woman who did a lot of things to have multiple streams of income. She is literally who I learned the concept of multiple streams of income and how I put it into place in my life. So I was on a walk with Catherine one day and she started like asking me like, again, like, Hey, Johnny, you want to start this private practice? That'll be really good because then you can add a new income stream. And I was like, what? (laughs) I don't really know what you're talking about. Like, does like I contribute to my 403B? Like, does that count? And she's like, well, yeah, that counts, but that's like a delayed earning kind of a situation. Like you want to add more money to what's coming in. And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, well, take me for example. So I work at the hospital with you. I also contribute to my 403B. I live in a two family house. That's what we call them in Boston anyway. You know, you live in one side and you rent out the other side. She also taught spin classes. Like she was a fitness instructor and she had her private practice. And she also had contracts with a couple of schools in the area doing AAC evals and treatment. And I think she probably did one or two other things that I can't remember right now, but she basically had like eight different streams of income. And what she said was, is that, you know, it's dangerous, especially as a woman to rely on one stream of income, because if something happens to that, then you're in a vulnerable place. So basically she's like, don't ever depend on one source of income or one person like a spouse for your money, make your own money and make sure it's coming from different places. And again, I was like, what? Like I had never, ever thought of that thought like that. And it was really, really a pivotal moment to hear a woman who was about probably 15 years older than me talking about financial decisions that she had made in order to earn more 
and have more financial security. And that was really, really powerful. And none of that was fancy, Jenna. Like, and I love that you gave that specific example. I mean, it, you don't, you don't have to go start a multi-million dollar business. I mean, if you want to do that, like go for it, girl, like go do the day thing, but you know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. And I think, especially when it comes to money stuff and you highlighted a great point, I feel like as this field is mostly women, we're very intimidated by it. And especially since a lot of us were used to being successful at things and we're used to being good at things with money. I feel like there's lots of talk in the financial world. That's like, that's a way above Danny's head. Like, I don't like, you know, <laughs> and it's almost kind of like, I'm not good at that. Or I don't really get that. So we're just going to like put it over here. But the problem with that is, I mean, you know, if you want to do that with something else, like, eh, I don't really like knitting, so I'm not going to learn about it. That's cool. But knitting isn't one of the main causes of 50% of divorce in this country. <laughs> and it doesn't bleed into every area of your lives. So, I mean, I think that's such a great point. I'm sorry. Keep going with your story. I keep interrupting you. Well, no, so that was kind of also like planted a seed, right? And kind of just what you said is that you can make money from different and creative ways and places, right? That you don't have to be like, and I'm going to use air quotes here, but just an SLP, right? Mm -hmm. That you can earn money from other things. Mm -hmm. And so what Catherine did was she started helping me to, you know, get set up, get my ducks in a row, get all the things you need to do to start a private practice, right? which essentially is what I help people do now, right? Had I not had those early mentors show me the ropes, like I never would have started until later in my career, like perhaps now, right? And, you know, my business wouldn't have existed. All this other stuff wouldn't have existed. So that's why also for those of you who are listening, mentorship is really important. And having people help you get set up, started and on your way and earning income is extremely, extremely valuable. And I was so lucky to have that situation. And I realized that many people aren't. So if you aren't, right, that's one of the things that I sort of fill a gap for is people who need mentorship, they need to know how to start a private practice, but they don't have that information, right? So that's what Catherine really did for me, right? So I started seeing clients, you know, on the side after work, on the weekends, and I built my practice up like pretty much on the side until I finally quit my job. But I was seeing like 12 clients a week and I was really making some pretty significant income. I had not quite doubled my salary, but pretty close to it working like basically an extra 12 hours a week. And so that was again, very powerful to start to have that income coming in. I was getting married at the time. So now I had like extra money to put toward the wedding extra money to put toward, you know, a down payment for our house. It just felt really good to have extra money in the bank, extra money to pay off loans. Like it was really, really a very powerful kind of thing. Right. So I'm getting my practice up and running and I've been doing that for about a year and a half. And a lot of my friends started asking like, what are you doing, Jenna? <laughs> like, tell me more about this private practice thing. Like, I see you do it. I see you post about it on Facebook. Like, how did you do it? <laughs> and so I was like, well, let me tell you. And so what I decided to do was it was more efficient to basically put all the information on the internet versus like tell people like onesie twosie, like how to get started. And also what you said earlier to charge for that information, right? Start to, you know, earn some money off of that. So like literally when I first started, I used to sell like $7 eBooks basically 
for how to do different aspects of your private practice. I had started listening to some business podcasts about passive income at the time. And now we're in like 2008 y'all. Okay. So we're in 2008 podcasting was actually like pretty brand new at the time. And people were talking about like essentially how to make money on the internet by selling information. And so that was like super new, like even online courses that was all new. Yeah. And at the time, you know, now it's a lot of like video courses and that kind of thing, which is what my programs evolved into, which mimics more like an online course, like you would take at a college or that kind of thing. But before it was a lot of like downloadable, like eBooks and things like that. And so basically what I did was I put together these little eBooks and I charged like $7 an eBook and people would buy, you know, onesie twosies of them. And, you know, I would be so excited, like every day that I would make a sale, I was so excited, right. To get that $7. It was like such a big deal. Right. And then I remember like the first time where I'd sold two things in one day, right. Or the first week or month, probably that I made a hundred extra dollars on the internet. Right. Now I have to tell people I was working at this thing all the time. Right. If I wasn't at work, if I wasn't, you know, seeing private clients, I was at home in front of the couch, like playing around on the internet, trying to figure out how to make this whole thing work. I was spending a lot of time to earn basically no money. (laughs) The wheels were in motion for what would become, you know, a, a very large company or, well, I don't know that it's large, but it's large to me. So, you know, it's, was kind of crazy how that like evolved also over time. Right. So like I started off selling these little $7, like mini ebook things, and then I combined them into one bigger ebook and stuff like that. And I was getting, you know, pretty regular sales, like, you know, a couple of years into this kind of thing. And it was really fun. It was like the $7 ebooks things. And then it was like $47 and then 97. And I remember when I finally started this charge $147 for this ebook, which really told people how to start a private practice, right? Now the information is like super outdated. Every now and then someone finds some random link on Pinterest or something. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I bought your book. And I'm like, oh my God, it's don't. That's a decade old. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Come join my program. It's way better. I promise. <laughs> it was really kind of fun, right? It was kind of fun to realize you could package information in a way that was super helpful to people that saved people a ton of time, a ton of money, and that they were willing to pay for it because they saw the value in what it would help them achieve. You know, I'm an SLP, right? I didn't know how to create websites or how to set up Facebook ads or how to make a webinar. Like I didn't know how to do all that stuff, right? I learned it over time. And one of the ways that I learned it was to sign up for online courses, right? There's a huge course business about how to make courses <laughs> out there. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, business masterminds, I got into all kinds of other stuff, which is where I kind of learned the ropes to do all this kind of thing, right? But it was really kind of cool to find a need in the marketplace and to find a void and to be able to fill it. Because again, once I realized how amazing it is to have your own business, it became my mission to help SLPs have that for themselves too, right? Yeah, anyway, that was, it's kind of a long story there, but it's been pretty amazing to go from having $7 eBooks to this year having a seven-figure company that teaches SLPs how to start private practices. 
And so I've been doing this since 2008. Like it really is no overnight success story here, but it really is important. I think for SLPs to know that if you keep at something and if you get better at it, and if you hone your skills and if you put the word out about your services, whatever they are, you can create a pretty incredible business and you can help a ton of people. So circling back to the beginning when, you know, my dad, I said, oh, dad, business is boring. I just want to help people, right? Well, I figured out that I am helping people in my business, right? And it's not boring. Like, I love it. It might be boring to some people, but I'm able to help infinitely more people through my business, the independent clinician, than I could by helping, you know, whatever private clients were on my caseload. Right. So I've been able to help, you know, increase my impact as well as increase my income through starting this business. And just the idea of especially SLP owned businesses, I feel like that's just our heart is to serve. And like, I've had this chat with my friends before and like, I've, I've talked to my friends cause I'm all about like, you should start a side hustle. One of my friends is really good at like doing makeup and stuff. I suck at that. She did my makeup for my wedding, but I was like, you need to like do something with this because you're very good at it. But anyways, like this idea of if you serve people well, if you come at it with a, a servant heart, it's okay to do that and like gathering an income from it at the same time. And also just being patient with yourself. You made a great point. Like you started this in 2008. Okay. All right. I'm putting you on the spot, Jenna. Yeah. Do math. How long ago was 2008? Oh, God. Do it. Do it. No, I can't. I have to with my calculator. <laughs> this is terrible. Like, so my seven-year-old is literally better at that kind of math than I am. Right. <laughs> but here's the point, right? Is like, I don't have to be good at math anymore, right? I now in a place in my business where I, I have a team of 10 people now who both help run the company. So I've got people who are like internal members of the team who are helping run my company. And then I also have a team of mentors who are SLPs in private practice who also serve the students in our Facebook groups. So I literally am now able to figure out what am I great at and what am I not great at? I just turned 40 this year. And for a long time, I kept trying to get better at the things I was bad at, right? I actually never really tried that hard to get better at math, but nonetheless, you know, Let's be honest. try to get better at things for a long time, right? And trying to get better at like Facebook ads, trying to get better at, oh, spreadsheets, learning how to do Excel, trying to get better at bookkeeping and stuff like that. And finally, I realized again, a little bit before I turned 40, like, why are you trying to be somebody that you're not? Like, why spend any more energy trying to get better at things that you don't like and that don't come naturally to you when you can have other people who love those things and are good at those things work in their zone of genius, right? Remember at the beginning when we talked about how I hired Rob to be my financial advisor, right? Well, now I have an amazing woman named Carolyn who basically really helps run the day-to-day -day operations of my company, right? She's a math, like, well, I don't know that she's a math genius, but compared to me, she is, right? But she makes all of that stuff happen. And you need to surround yourself. If you're going to be a business owner and you're really going to grow your business, you need to have people compliment you in your business so that you can work in your zone of genius. You need other people 
who can offload that or whatever and support the areas that you're weaker on so that you can grow faster using this team approach. And you also have to know what you're good at and be okay with the fact that I'm not good at everything. Oh yeah. There's lots of things I thought I was good at for a long time. For example, making graphics and stuff on Canva, right? I thought I was pretty good at making graphics. Then I actually hired someone (laughs) to do social media for me and she makes graphics. And let me tell you, her graphics are a thousand. If you look at my Instagram, I'm not creating any of those graphics anymore. If you scroll way down, you can probably tell when Jenna hired a social media manager, because all of a sudden the graphics are like way better. Oh, I feel you. Like I really should post it. So I tried to make my own podcast cover off of Canva, off with the templates. And finally I was like, this is just not good. And then, you know what? And it doesn't have to be expensive either. Jenna, like I pay like $30 on Fiverr to get someone to make a podcast cover for me. Like you can make it as luxurious as you want, but I think you can offload these very simple things that just will give you, you know, like, trust me, if I would have used that podcast cover that I made, we might've only been one or two episodes in, I ain't gonna lie. (laughs) But listen to what, what Danny said, something really important. Like you can go on Fiverr. Like it's not that expensive. It's like only $30, right? So $30, you know, to someone else is awesome, right? Whoever designed that for you is probably thrilled to have your $30, right? That you probably would have spent hours trying to figure out how to make your podcast cover look halfway decent. And it wouldn't have, it would have looked fine, (laughs) right? It would have looked like no offense, but like Danny, the SLP made it like look okay. Right. Just like how when, you know, Jenna, all all the offense. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) wouldn't be very good. Right. Yeah. So taking that $30 and hiring someone else to do something again, they are good at, and that's going to save you tons of time, right? Because I'm not sure Danny, what you charge for like an hour of your time in your private practice, but like, it's more than $30, right? Oh yes. Mm. Girlfriend. Yes. Girlfriend. (laughs) So so listeners, if Danny is going to be, you know, messing around on Canva, to the tune of what she could pay someone else to do $30. And during that time, she could see three clients at just for round math. Cause remember, I'm not good at it. Like a hundred dollars an hour. That would be like three or $400 an hour that she could be making by seeing clients and give you know somebody else 30 bucks to make a podcast cover. So that's like the kind of new way of thinking that you come into once you really become a business owner and start to grow, right? You start to really think more about what is your time worth and what are the activities that you should be doing versus what should you hire somebody else to be doing? And there's this understanding of just like you said, like, what is your time worth? So first of all, you need to value your time. And I think that's an issue a lot of us have is we have to value our time. We have to value our expertise. And then you're 100% correct. This idea of, well, if I can make a hundred dollars in an hour, it makes more sense for me to just take on an extra kid and pay somebody else. And another point that I really, really love that you brought up, and I'm actually like in the thick of it right now with hiring a virtual assistant. I'm doing my interviews on Memorial day and getting like people that are excited Like they want my job. There's like 12 people lined up 
to interview for this job that want this job. It's been like a really, really cool, I'll have to do an episode whenever I'm finished with it, but, and I'd love for you to comment on it because you're much further down that road than I am, but it's like, it was, it was a really cool way for me to like shift that mindset of, oh, here, I'm sorry. I need you to do this for me because we're, a lot of us are like that. Can you, oh, oh. I need a little bit more funds for my speech therapy room because it's a closet and there's mold in it. Or, oh, oh, can I pretty please have some materials that my kids need? No, 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 no. Like it's actually, people are jumping at this opportunity and excited at the opportunity to get to work for me and the things that I need them to do. And then on the other end, I'm also allowing them to create an income for themselves. And I think that's something that I know for myself, like that's something I'm in the thick of that right now of this idea of paying someone and having someone work for you. It's not like they're doing you a favor. Like if you're paying them well, you're paying them, you know, a fair price, all these sorts of things, like you're allowing them to create an income. Like you just promoted Tommy. What is she? Student success coordinator. Yeah, she's, she's a director of student success. Tommy Teshimish. She became a mentor about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, she's now promoted. She's essentially the third person in my company, right? That, like the third level. And like the fact that, which she was my episode two or three, go check back. If y'all haven't listened to that, it's a fabulous interview. I love Tommy, but anyways, the fact that, you know, had you not started your company, had you not, you know, pursued this, like you're helping her fulfill part of her dream. Probably like, I'm sure she loves the fact I'm putting words in your mouth, Tommy. Sorry, girl, message me if you mad. But I mean, I think like to me, it would be like, oh, I I get to have my private practice and then I get to do this other cool, like SLP related thing, but I'm still creating an income that's not necessarily from direct patient care. And like you were able to provide that opportunity for someone by starting your business. Yeah. And for a long time, y'all, like it was just me and a virtual assistant for a very long time. And that basically got me to about the couple six figure level. Right. And it was, again, I was working like a dog though. (laughs) It was working a lot. And I had this virtual assistant um, whose name was also Jenna, which was kind of fun. And she is actually, I don't know if she's going to listen to this, but shout out to Jenna. She is now going to go to grad school for speech. Oh, stop it. I'm tearing. Okay. Sorry. That's so sweet. (laughs) Well, you know, I made a decision before COVID happened last year that I really wanted to grow my team. And then I needed more help. I was doing too much. I remember literally crying on the phone to a friend in February, a month before COVID that I just was completely overworked. I was feeling myself starting to burn out and I was worried for honestly, for the future of my company, if I continued to do all of the things myself. And so I hired someone to help find me help essentially, (laughs) because again, I am, am now a real believer in, there's a great book for those of you who know me, you know, I got all these books behind me, but there's a great book called who not how by Dan Sullivan. And it talks about how in order to grow your business, you really need to find who's people who are really good at what they do, that you cannot be good at everything. And if you want to grow, you need to find people who you need to find who's who can do these things. Right. So I basically started hiring people and that really accelerated the growth of my company. Right. It was a little scary at first to start, you know, hiring people and paying them for more hours and stuff, but like the money came back and it came back, you know, multiple fold. Right. So, you know, you want to make sure that when you're growing your business, that the people that you're hiring are helping generate revenue for your company. Right. 
because if not, it can become a deficit, right? They need to either be generating income or they need to be saving you a lot of time, right? But that's really important. So for those of you maybe who have a private practice and you're like, I don't know if I can hire, like, what if they don't do as good a job as me, right? Because a lot of SLPs have that worry about, you know, control and this is my name and what if somebody, I don't know, whatever. But it's like, no, you have to relinquish that control and you have to let other people build your business, right? So there was a someone, I forget who said this, so I'm not going to quote them. But anyway, um, it was like, build your team and then let your team build your business. And that's essentially what I did. I hired 10 people last year. I'm about to hire a couple more people. And, you know, our company has grown exponentially because I have more people doing these really important roles. I'm not burned out anymore. I am, you know, working in my zone of genius and, you know, it's really better for everyone. And like you said, I've been able to employ people. It was so amazing. You know, I'm one of those people. I love to give gifts, right? I don't know if, you know, that's a love language or whatever, but I it love is to, one. Yeah. It is one. Okay. I like you to gotta. give gifts. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that felt so good was to be able to hire people in the midst of 2020 in a global pandemic to be able to offer people a job that they could work from home, that they could be making money if they were furloughed or they had whatever, you know, situations going on economically for them to be able to offer financial security to people felt amazing, especially as a person who likes to give gifts. Not that it's the same thing, but it's, I don't know, but gotta be related. Yeah, no, I I got you. I got you. But that was really, really powerful. And I'm going to talk about Tommy again. Sorry, Tommy. Hopefully this is all okay with you. But the other day after I gave her that promotion, which she earned, I should say that she earned that promotion. She posted that she had a dream job at the independent clinician. And I literally started crying y'all because I never really thought about that. My company could be somebody's dream job. And that was a really like, I'm going to like cry again on Danny's podcast, but like, that was a really powerful moment for me now stepping into like a real leadership role in the company, right? So, you know, I've really kind of grown from like hustling on the internet, selling these, you know, little $7 ebook things, you know, to running a million dollar company that employs a lot of people. We have plans to employ even more people. And in the meantime, we're changing lives of thousands of SLPs across the country who are able to either, you know, start making their own money on the side you know, quit their jobs, start their own private practices where they can serve more people in their communities. The whole thing is coming back a million fold from where it started. You know, me on the couch, listening to podcasts about how to do this whole thing. Like, I don't really know how to respond to that, Jenna. Oh, so whenever she said the Tommy dream job thing and she was like, I'm about to tear up, like I was about to tear up, but I'm supposed to be quiet when the other person's talking. So it's not super obnoxious with the audio. Like, y'all, I just can't tell you how that really meant a lot to me, right? And I've had dream jobs, right? My first dream job was at a rehab hospital working with, you know, people with strokes and brain injuries, right? So I remember what it felt like to get that dream job, right? Then, you know, sort of my next dream job was private practice. Another dream job that I've done, you know, some here and there is being a clinical instructor. I've also liked that. But, you know, now my dream job is obviously my company. And so to be able to offer someone else a job that is their 
dream job or I don't know that they're happy about anyway. Like that really, really feels really good. I'd be lying if I said that that doesn't feel really good. And it makes me want to keep going, right? Because the flip side is, is that, you know, all these folks that we're helping teach start private practices, well, when their private practices grow and they start hiring SLPs to work for them, I hope that they're able to offer an SLP like their dream job. Right. So this whole thing is just, you know, continuing to grow and it's tremendously satisfying to hear all the good that we're able to do just because, you know, a colleague in 2006, I think is when I started talking to Catherine about this whole thing. She saw something in me too, that I didn't see yet. And she was willing to share her knowledge and information with me so that I could get started. So you've clearly just done all the awesome things, but I got to ask Jenna, like, how did you keep going? Because it wasn't like this was a one-year process. And you said in the beginning, like you didn't make any money really in the beginning and you were putting in a lot of time and effort. How did you keep going? Because I think a lot of us, and that's why I want to join the podcast. We see you as an independent clinician, blah, 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 like, oh, the mentors and this, this, and that, this is awesome. But like, it wasn't always that way. And you had to build to that. So like, how did you keep motivated and keep going, especially when you weren't even making any money? Yeah, because I truly feel called to do this work. Like I literally feel this is my mission in life is to help women start businesses and to be successful business owners and to be the kind of person that I needed in my life to show me the way, like who I did have, right? I did have someone to do that for me, but so many people don't. So I think that I've just kept plugging away because I knew that this would work. And I knew that this was something that was a tremendous need. I think that it is awful that SLPs don't learn anything about private practices in grad school, right? They learn about it in other things, right? You mentioned your friend earlier, also, you know, like social workers, basically any kind of a mental health provider, dentists, et cetera, like all learn about private practice in school and SLPs don't. And so we learn how to be SLPs, but not how to earn as SLPs. And I think that that does a tremendous disservice to our field, which is like, you know, almost all women who are just kind of working in jobs that they love, right? We love being speech pathologists, but a lot of times people don't love their job, but they stick with it, you know, whatever. So hopefully people listening can hear my story and realize that there are other ways to serve people. There are other ways to still be a speech pathologist. And there are other ways to earn significantly more than you can in your school or EI or hospital jobs with the skill set that you already have. Bam. Yeah, I don't have a business degree, by the way. Every now and then I think about doing it and I realize the things that you learn, if I were to go get an MBA, right? I'd have to take, first of all, I'd have to take econ classes that I probably would fail, right? So that probably wouldn't be very good. But I'd also learn about like supply chain management and blah, blah. Talk about boring stuff that's not related to anything that I'm doing, right? So I've taken online business courses. I know how to run businesses, but like, you know, there's also so many SLPs are like, oh, well, maybe I should get an MBA first. No, don't do that. That's such a waste of time and money. And you're not going to learn anything relevant to what you actually have to have, right? Like that's literally what my course provide. The Start Your Private Practice program is basically like the missing course from grad school 
that teaches you A to Z, how to start a private practice so that you know exactly what to do. You're not going to make a mistake or you're, we're going to try really hard to help you not make a mistake. You're going to get that confidence. You know, Danny was one of my students. She's definitely one of my star students. And, you know, it's a great program. I'm very, very proud of it because it works really, really well. And you don't need permission from anyone to start your own business. Like, and I think people think of like, oh, I have to get the MBA so I can be a business person. Or even I was having this conversation in the last episode with Mira, like, oh, I I need to get this certification before I can say I specialize in this. Like you don't need somebody's approval or somebody's permission to go do what you want to do. Yes. You needed someone's approval to get into graduate school. Yes. You needed people's approval so you could get decent grades and not fail and become an SLP. But like, you don't need anybody's permission. And I think we're so used to asking for permission. And I mean, I'm going to be honest, like we're mostly women. I mean, a lot of women, you see more submissive personalities. I'm stereotyping there, whatever. Send me a DM if you're mad about it. But you know, we feel like we can't just like do it, like just stand up and be the thing. Like Hallie Balkan, she didn't say it, but somebody else did be do have. And I like how your program, you know, it's a way to just like, okay, like just do it. You don't need Jenna's permission to start a private practice. You don't need my permission to start a private practice. Like you need your own permission so that you don't get in your own way or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever SLP business it is that you want to do. Well, that's what I'm learning is the biggest reason why SLPs don't start a private practice or any business. It's because they don't think they can do it. It's not that they can't, it's that they don't think that they can. And so there's that quote, you know, it's not who you are that stops you. It's who you think you're not. Right. So it's, so it's like, people think that they can't do it. And it's like, literally people tell me like, oh, I've been thinking about joining your program for years. And I'm like, okay, like how much longer are you going to think about it? <laughs> like how much time have you wasted thinking about it? How many clients are, you know, people have ever said, oh, do you treat privately? You say, oh no, you know, and you shrug your head or whatever. Like what if you had said yes to even a handful of those people who have asked you over the years and you had figured it out, right? And instead of just waiting, just like Danny said, like waiting for this external approval, you decided to like get your ducks in a row as you started versus like waiting. That's the other thing people tell me, oh, I got to get my ducks in a row. Well, how about we start getting your ducks in a row, like as you're treating clients, like versus waiting until you get all like 89 ducks in a row or something before you finally get started. Like you don't really need a lot to start a private practice. You don't need a ton of money. Like the way that I teach people to do it, you can literally get started for about 150, $250. It's any other business you would ever start. If you wanted to do like a clothing store or like a coffee shop or anything like that, there's usually massive investments, right? You can get started in private practice with the biggest investment that you have already made, which is your master's degree. Yes. Yes. And honestly, I think that's something very, oh, she just said like a boom thing. Y'all didn't get to see that because this ain't on video, but it was great. Like the opportunity in this field is so there because like my best friend, she's an optometrist. If she wanted to go start her own clinic, like she would need to, she'd have to take out a loan. Like she would need thousands of dollars of equipment. Like that's part of the service. Like her by herself, like she has a little suitcase thing that she can bring, but it, like, it takes like really, really long to do an exam and all this stuff. Us, like, I mean, I remember my first week of grad school, professor holds up those white cheap craft plates and said, by the end of this program, you will be able to do therapy with this plate. I can afford a plate. 
And I think that's something so cool. Just like you said, your knowledge that you've already freaking paid for. Some of us paid a lot for, right? You're the secret sauce. You're it. I mean, it's an opportunity there. Uh, I think for SLP Social, the girl that does SLP Social, oh, yeah, uh-huh. she said that the SLP field or speech pathology, I'm so sorry, girl, I'm butchering this, but it was something like speech pathology is an entrepreneur's playground. Like it, it is. It so is. There's a lot of really amazing SLP entrepreneurs who find little niches, right? Like so whether it's selling t-shirts or, you know, how about the PlaySparks folks that did the green screens, right? Like they're selling all these green screens. That's awesome. You know, you get people on Teachers Pay Teachers who are selling, you know, various like worksheets and whatnot for different age groups or different skill sets or whatever, right? You've got Teresa Richard has her MedSLP Collective, right? It's really important to figure out, you know, like what is a void that you can fill? Like what is like a tremendous need in the SLP community and realize that like the needs are ever evolving when all of a sudden everything flipped and went to telepractice all of a sudden, you know, you got people selling some green screens, boom cards really took off people, you know, courses on how to do telepractice, you know, all these kind of things where like, that was a huge need. One of the reasons why my friend Teresa is so successful too, is like, there just wasn't enough space information, et cetera, from medical SLPs, right? Med SLPs really kind of felt like the black sheep of the felt very like pediatric focused or whatever. So she filled this huge need of evidence-based practice, community, et cetera. And that has done really well. In the same way, I've also filled a huge need of people who didn't learn anything about private practice in grad school. And so for basically the cost of a one credit course in grad school, I will teach you how to start a private practice step-by-step so that you can actually earn money from this degree, like Danny said, that you paid a ton of money for. And the cool thing is, is that you can actually use your private practice to pay off your student loans infinitely much faster than you could if you were just waiting for raises or doing some random stuff every now and then, or trying to sell bags or makeup or... I don't know, skin creams or stuff like that. Right. So it's like, take the wheel girl. Like if you want to earn more money, that's another thing from this book. We should all be millionaires by Rachel Rogers is she talks about how women learn to earn more basically by saving more, right? There's a lot about budgeting and there's a lot about being smarter with your money. And that's like more for women and less emphasis on earning more, right? you know, again, to be kind of gender stereotypical or whatever, like men are sort of more focused on like, how do you earn more? How do you get more promotions or how do you start your own businesses or whatever? For them, it's about earning more. For women, it's a little bit more the messaging from the media and elsewhere is like, be smart with your money, you know, save money, blah, blah. And that's good too, right? You need to save it because if you make a whole bunch of money and you can't hold on to it, that's a problem too, right? But I want SLPs to be thinking not just how to save money, which again is very valuable, but really how to earn more because that will help you have, you know, much more money, right? And the more money you have, the more you can give and the more that you can help. So earning money and earning more money is a good thing because also women tend to be much better philanthropists, giving more money away, you know, to charitable organizations or Kickstarters or GoFundMes or whatever, like women need to have more money so that big things can happen. And also things in our own communities and our households, 
you know, generational wealth, all these things are really, really important. And you can't do those things if you're not earning more money. Yes, that's it. And rant. <laughs> like, yes. And just like you said, like money creates opportunity. It doesn't create happiness. You know, it's not going to blow hearts and rainbows out of your butt. It, it, it creates opportunity. And the opportunity to give, the opportunity to change your family tree, like all this stuff, like people, for some reason, people forget that. Like people forget this idea that this is what else money can provide. And you can give in the form of charitable giving. You can give in the form of employing people. You can give in that way as well. But just like you said earlier, and I want to touch on that too, because it's like finding that niche and finding that area, being proactive versus reactive. And like, I've seen this and I'm curious if you feel the same way. Like I've seen this my entire life, the difference between people that are just doing the dang thing and being awesome. And people who are like, oh, well, um, like nobody gave me a better job. So that's why I don't have any money. And I'm like, yeah, but you have a nicer car than me in the driveway, but whatever, we won't talk about it. But but who's got more money, the bank and who's got a retirement fund going. Right. Right. And now there's nothing wrong with a nice car. Y'all don't DM me all angry about things, but it's this idea of just like these opportunities, like you created this opportunity for yourself because like you were being proactive. And I think that's another thing that I really want people to know is like, that's why I wanted this podcast, like to show people and show SLPs, like these people who are freaking awesome and they're SLPs and they have their own businesses and they're just like doing the dang thing and blah, 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 blah. You know, they didn't just sit there and wonder why am I not being paid more? Oh, like I'm ticked. Let me go on Facebook and comment because I am so upset. You know, you should probably should be paid more, but like, okay, like, and what are you going to do about it? Just like you said, are you going to invest in Jenna's program and start your private practice? Are you going to like think beyond just your daily and think about like, where's an area that I can invest and I can grow and also understand that you're not going to get instant gratification just like that. I mean, Jenna, like you're a great example. I mean, this amazing company you've built wasn't built overnight. And I think we need to be patient because I get it. Like we did the grad school. Like I know we're ready, I guess. A lot of us feel ready because we did all the right things, but it's also being patient with the process and being proactive with the process. And patient with yourself to learn stuff, right? Like I'm self-taught here and a lot of these business skills that I have, and they've taken a long time and probably some of them have taken longer, have made some, you know, various mistakes along the way. And it's like, you just got to keep moving forward, right? Rather than then be like, oh, well, that's it. I can't do that. Forget it. Like, no, I'm going to either figure it out or I'm going to hire somebody else to do it or whatever. But it's like, you just got to keep moving forward, right? Like sitting in your own sort of, you know, misery pity party situation isn't going to help anyone. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help your family. It's not going to help your community. Like it's literally not going to help anybody, right? Now, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. There are lots of people who do not care about this at all. Like my lovely wife is one of those people. She's an early intervention physical therapist. She loves the kids. She wants to do therapy. She wants to, you know, come home, watch TV, listen to a podcast, whatever, just relax. Totally fine, right? I am of this crazy entrepreneur brain that's really, really hard to turn off. But I do love this stuff. I never thought that I would, but I do. So just like people can discover things that all of a sudden they love, like I've got some friend who's now like obsessed with pickleball. 
I don't even really know what pickleball is, but she's obsessed with it. Right. So it's like, we can all find things in life that we really, really like to do. And so my hope for you listeners is that you find something that you like to do. And if there's a way to, you know, earn some extra money from it, then, you know, go for it. If that's something that you want to do, but just like Danny said, it serves nobody to kind of sit around and just, you know, wish that things were better. Right. One of the things I say all the time is, you know, create, don't wait. If you want to change your situation, if you want to earn more money, if you want a new job and the job that you want isn't out there, well, create it, create it for yourself. I created a new job for myself. You know what? I love it. Danny created a job for herself and she loves it, right? There's lots of ways for you to create more income and more opportunities for yourself that you will absolutely love doing. You'll have more fulfillment, You'll have more flexibility in your life. You'll have more financials. It's a really good thing to be a business owner. I can't recommend it highly enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay. There was so many golden nuggets. I'm processing. Jenna, give me a second. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if I still have it. I totally had a vocal nodule. I'm a bad SLP. Don't tell on me. No, you're not a bad SLP. None (laughs) of us are bad SLPs, right? I mean, okay, like if you do something horribly unethical or something like that, I guess you could qualify as a bad SLP. But like our field is so vast. There's so much to learn. There's so much to do. And that's one of the reasons I think why SLPs hold themselves back, right? Danny was talking earlier about asking for permission. You don't need any permission, whatever. I think our field lends itself to people feeling like they need permission because there's all these gates in the way, right? Like you can't just be a speech therapist out of, you know, undergrad, you need a grad degree, right? And maybe you can be an SLPA or whatever, like in the meantime, then you go get your grad degree, right? You graduate. And not only do you have to take the praxis, but at most problems, you have to take comps too, right? So you got comps and the practice. Those are like more gates in the way. Then you graduate In most fields, you just then take your boards or whatever, our version of the praxis, but no, we have to do a clinical fellowship year. So we have to do a whole nother nine months to make sure that you are really ready to do this. And you're again, getting a stamp of approval from somebody else, right? Then you get in the field and every three years, you have to get your, you know, certification maintenance hours and you have to get, you know, this new stamp of approval that you know more things. And I'm not against CEUs. That's obviously very important, but still it's like an external thing, making sure that you're smart enough and you know what you're doing. And then we've got this awful other layer that I wasn't going to bring up, but I'm going to bring it up. Is that sometimes there's like some like mean girls stuff in like the SLP world, right? Where people are afraid of judgment from other SLPs, you know, what if they read a report of mine and, you know, I spelled a word wrong and now they think I'm dumb or something, or they think that I used the wrong treatment approach. You know, guess what y'all there's like oftentimes more than one treatment approach that can work for a client, right? Your idea of the right one isn't always like the exact right one, but sometimes it's also like fear of judgment from other people, other SLPs that is often also what holds people back from starting private practices. Like when people say, oh, I don't know if I have enough experience. I think sometimes it comes from them thinking that maybe they don't have enough experience, but I think it's also this like worry of fear of judgment from others. Like, oh, if they knew I started a private practice, they wouldn't think I was qualified to do it. And like, they might talk badly about me or something like that. Right. Well, first of all, who the heck are they? Why do you care about what they think about you? As Danny says, go out and do the dang thing, right? And don't worry about what other people are thinking about you. You do not need permission. 
go do whatever it is that you are being called to do. Yes. And if you're having those feelings, like use that to fuel your fire, to go learn more. Like you can fuel your fire, like to go, you know, taking courses and, you know, doing Jenna's program. Like if you have those worries, like go learn, like, and you can do it while you're also starting your private practice or business, by the way, I'm not saying that you need to go do that before you start and doing your thing. Cause like, I definitely had that when I started my private practice as well was like the audacity. There's some private practices in the area that are owned by very, very well-known therapists that specialize in blah, 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 blah. And like, they didn't start their private practices until they were 40. So they're looking at me like I'm still in my twenties, like only four or five years out. Like who the heck is this girl? And and honestly, sometimes y'all put your blinders on boo. If you're really sensitive to those kinds of things, you know, I always say you can't control how you feel. Like you can't just be like, turn off the feels dude. Like that's not going to happen. If you know that you're sensitive to those types of things, put on the blinders get out the Facebook group if you need to, you know, don't engage in those conversations. Like you do what you need to do because at the end of the day, like you're the one that is living with the results of your decisions. Like Sally Sue, who thinks I'm nutso for starting my private practice so early in my career. Like, I don't even know where they are right now. Like they, they don't care. Like you're the one that lives with the results of your decisions. So if you need to, if you know you have that tendency, if you know that you're really soft-hearted, which a lot of us are, a lot of us are really soft-hearted and we value the opinions of others, which not saying you should never value the opinions of others, but be picky about whose opinion you value. Like I value my husband's opinion. Like I care if he thinks I look good in a dress. I don't care if Snowflow look things I look good in the dress. You know what I'm saying? Like you need to be picky about those things too. And otherwise put blinders on boo and just go, like, just go. Because <laughs> if you hold yourself back, think of all of the people who are not going to get to experience your amazing therapy, like whatever. Right. So I'm a little overweight, right? I don't really love being on video. If I decided to never appear on video, I wouldn't have created my course because, well, it's a video course, right? So I had to make the decision that, you know, I don't care, right? And if I'm going to hold myself back from this like one little aspect of myself, then all these people wouldn't get the benefit of working with me or, or getting to know me or getting the information I have that can change their lives, right? So at some point you have to decide to not be afraid of judgment anymore And just go out and like do what it is that you are supposed to be doing. And again, you can't worry what other people think if you are meant to do something to change your life and the lives of other people for the better. You're right. It's exhausting, Jenna, to care too much about what everybody else thinks. Like there's a lot of people in this world, y'all, especially with the, you know, with the internet, like there's so many people out there that are going to judge you. Like it's exhausting if you're taking all of that information and taking it into account whenever you're trying to make decisions. You need to be picky about whose opinions that you're going to let influence your decisions. And that's why I created this podcast was I want you, Jenna, to be someone who influences people's decisions because you are successful in what you're doing. Like snowflake flow or whatever, if they're broke and miserable at their job, like I don't want their money or their business advice. Like, sorry, I love you, but I don't want your advice. And just having this sort of your blinders and like having this filter, you gotta have like a really good filtration system. Cause a lot of starting a business, whether it's a private practice or 
a course or a product, you're putting a piece of yourself out there. And that is scary. And I'm sure that's scary. You know, you're doing that too. Like you're putting your face, you're putting your material, you know, tell me like, I know as fabulous as your course is, I know there's been some snowflow Joe blow or whatever, that's made a nasty comment or something like that. Like, tell us what you do. Yeah. So I get people all the time who tell me about a spelling or a grammar error in my emails or on my website or something like that. Right. And I know there's a lot of people who they just can't unsee that stuff. Right. And that's a skill that they have. I don't have that skill, nor do I care to. Right. And so for them, you know, that's just something that's part of their innate personality, just like I got things that are part of mine. Right. But like, that's not productive to let me know that I use like the wrong way to do there or something like that in the email because I was moving too fast and because I wanted to get content out into the world that is going to change lives. So when I get a comment like that, which I do, I don't know, probably pretty much any email I send out, I get at least one SLP just letting me know, just wanted to bring to your attention, blah, blah, that you misspelled something. And so I always write back and I say, oh, you know, thank you for letting me know. But by the way, know that there will be more of those things. Like I move fast, right? And I do things in order to get content out into the world to help more people. So know that there will be more spelling mistakes. If you can work with that, cool. If not, the unsubscribe button's down below. Yes. <laughs> like that, right? Like every now and then someone will send me, you know, again, some sort of, you know, whatever, mean email or something like that. It used to bother me so much. Like it used to crush me, right? Now, one of the cool things is a lot of times when you have an email subscriber service thing like I do, I can just hit unsubscribe for them, right? So I started doing that. I didn't know that you could do that. I learned that trick from one of my internet friends. And they're like, oh yeah, just hit the unsubscribe button for them, delete it. And it's like, oh my God, that's the best. If I stopped and listened to, I mean, I don't get like a whole lot of criticism or whatever, but like when I do, like if I stopped and let that bother me and made it so that I spent any time thinking about that, I wouldn't have the space in my head that I needed to create all of these things that do help people, right? So I don't waste any time on that anymore. It used to get me down, but I made a choice for it not to like, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Or like, I don't get hardly any like refunds or whatever for my programs. And, and usually if it is a refund, it's because someone has a, you know, a financial situation or that kind of thing. But it used to also completely freak me out and I would get so upset about it and that kind of thing. And then I also started to realize, you know what, that whatever, that's all right. Like refunds, it's like such a small percentage of my overall income. And it's usually because of the person's situation, not because of, you know, my content or whatever, but you really have to make choices and you can choose how you react to things. And so that's something too, that has served me really well, especially in the last you know couple of years, as I rounded the corner to 40 was to decide like what I was going to spend my mental energy on and criticisms about grammar, whatever was like, just not one of those things. Yeah. You want to spend your energy on your business. That's providing a livelihood for your family. You want to spend your energy on your spouse. You want to spend your energy on your children. And I think sometimes, especially when everyone knows I bark the word intentionality, because it's like, if you're not intentional about how you spend your money or how you spend your headspace, it's just going to like go to these random places. If you're letting these things bother you that really, like you said, like they're not productive. You're spending that energy that you could be putting towards something else. 
uh, especially when it comes to like your family and things like that. A hundred percent. Love it. Okay. I'm not going to take up all your time because it's nighttime and she's also an hour ahead of me. (laughs) But before I release you, I think that's become a thing. I say I release people at the end of the episode. What is kind of one final thing that you want to tell us? We know that you have the Start Your Private Practice program, which, oh, by the way, I am going to have a link. She does have her free training, BT Dubs. So I'm going to have a link for that in the show notes. It's a webinar. How how long is it, Jenna? Just so people know. It's an hour. An hour? An hour long. It's kind of like the missing lecture from grad school that you never got to attend. They didn't offer it to you, so I'm going to offer it to you. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I remember you had that whenever I had your program. Like that's how, I mean, you've grown a lot in the last year. Cause I, I bought yours probably a year and a half and I know it's like completely exploded since then. Um, totally. Yeah. People yes. can check your show notes or you can go to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar to sign up. Awesome. And then you also have your private practice success stories podcast, which is also free BT dub. So you literally have no excuse peeps. So I will link that as well in the show notes, but you can just go look it up. Are you on Apple podcasts? Spotify, all you, you're all the places. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I got to be interviewed by Jenna on it. You should go check it out guys. <laughs> it was a really, really good interview. And again, like Danny's one of my awesome success stories. I love to feature my students. Right. And so some of the students, you know, it's like, they're just been at a couple months. Sometimes it's, you know, that's like a couple of years into it, but Danny's interview was amazing. So you should definitely go listen to it. And she's got guys, different types of private practitioners on there. So like what, honestly, what I did whenever I was like, this was even before about your course, when I was just looking for some inspo, you know, I went, I like scrolled through and I, I knew that I didn't want like a big clinic. I knew that I really wanted to stay small. So like, I literally just scrolled through the episodes to find other private practitioners that you had interviewed that fit what I was looking for. So do that. Like if you kind of have an idea of what you want to create, go just look through the episodes and like, see which ones you want to listen to. You have, how how many episodes do you have now? I don't know. 120, I think. Yeah. So quite, quite a few. So quite a few. There's a lot of diversity in terms of, you know, region, type of practice, size, specialty, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's all there. Whatever your dream is, whatever your, like, I always say that there's no such thing as a perfect private practice, only one that's perfect for you. And so my purpose of the podcast, Danny talked about her purpose. My purpose is to show people that there are a lot of ways to have a private practice and that you can create something that works for you. The way that I teach people to do this, y'all, Danny's got me saying y'all because I'm from Louisiana too, right? So now, now my Louisiana accent's coming out, but like is to create something that works for you to use private practice as a way to get what you want in life and what your family wants and what you need. If you need more freedom, you need more flexibility, you need more financial abundance, like create that, right? So private practice for me isn't just another job setting. It is a way of life and it is something that people create that serves them. So you can create a job for yourself that serves you and your family and your clients. And you have created that and you are in charge of that. You are the owner. And there's no middleman, you know, you do have to pay your taxes, but you're going to be able to save most of the money. And so that is how you can, you know, get out of debt and start to build wealth for your family. Yes. And sometimes guys, you know, it depends on what you want, what your goals are. Private practice, maybe private practice is your goal, or maybe private practice is a stepping stone to get to your goal. And that's, again, it just depends on what your goals are. So 
you know, hopefully like listening to this has kind of gotten you like fueled up to be like, all right, like I'm gonna go, let's go do something. You know, I encourage y'all like go sit down and like put it to paper. Like what the quintessential question, where do you want to be in five years? Like, what is something that you want? I know one of the exercises you take us through Jenna specific to private practice is what do you want your private practice to look like? Like what type of clients are you going to see? Like you, I remember uh, you had us make like a mock schedule of like what our ideal schedule would look like. So those types of things, like hopefully that you've been filled up by this episode, but start taking these things that are sort of like abstract in your head of like, oh, that'd be nice one day to creating some actual action steps for yourself and creating some actual, not dreams, but goals. Dreams are like floating goals that you can't, you don't really know where they're going. A goal is something concrete and decide like, okay, what steps do I need to take to be able to get to that goal? Like whenever I was making my private practice goal, like I knew I didn't want to go it alone. So like being part of Jenna's program was part of that stepping stone to get me to my goal. So yeah. And then you just go do it. Just go do it. Yeah. No one is more qualified than you to take charge of your life. Yes. Yes. Well, I was actually just about to say, Jenna, are there any other like super awesome, wise final words you want to leave us with? But that was actually pretty good. So do you want to add to that? That's pretty good. (laughs) No, that was pretty good. Y'all are awesome. Like I love SLPs. I believe that SLPs are the best people. Yes, We are super smart. We are kind. We are thoughtful. We care about people. And sometimes we get lost and forget to care for ourselves. And so it is not selfish to put yourself and your family's needs ahead of other people. Like other people do it all the time. So SLPs need to learn a little bit more how to have some more boundaries and also again, think about goal setting and just do what you want to do and what you need. And you can still help people, right? Back to the beginning of the episode, if you've stuck with us this long, is like you can be a helping people person and a business owner. So do it. Yes, be Nike. Just do it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jenna, for coming on. This has been the fabulousness. Did I just mess that up? I totally did. We won't edit it out though. (laughs) Keep it. it. It's a spelling error. It's our version of a spelling error. (laughs) But thank you so much for coming on. I love, love, love having you. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you listeners for sticking with us and send me a DM on Instagram. If you listened to the episode and you liked it, I'm at independent clinician. Yes. And all of her information is going to be in the show notes, the free webinar, the podcast, and uh, all of her like Instagram and Facebook and all that fun stuff. Anyway, you have a free Facebook group, correct? I do. Yeah. The SLP private practice beginners Facebook group. Okay. And is it with Jenna Castro Casbon now, right? Is it that in the name? Yeah, it is. I'm thinking about changing that, but nonetheless, look, if you just look up a like SLP private practice, you'll find it. Okay. Awesome. 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 All right. Well, thank you, Jenna. Have a great rest of your night. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to hear more no fluff, getting the dang thing done stuff for myself and other real life SLPs, be sure to leave a review on Apple podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com slash speech goods. If you found this content valuable, please share it with others so we can get this message out there. And if you haven't already join us on Instagram handle is at speech goods. See you there.